Well, one day, God was looking down on the earth. And he was seeing that it was, I don't know, kind of evil. It wasn't working very well. So he decided to send an angel down to check things out and come back and give a report. So the angel came down to earth. And when he went back up to God, he said, wow, it's really bad. 95% of the people are bad. Only 5% are good. So God thought for a moment, and then he said, well, maybe I ought to send another angel down there and get a second opinion. So he sent an angel down. That second angel comes up and says, I got the same numbers, God. 95% of the people are bad. Only 5% are righteous. Well, God knew this just wasn't going to work. So he decided to send an email to the 5% of the people who were good just to kind of keep them inspired and keeping up with their righteousness. And wasn't that the nicest email? What, you didn't get it? You didn't get the email? Oh my gosh. Sounds like a Pharisee up here, doesn't it? Well, if you've joined us just this morning, we're in the third week of a series six-week series. We've entitled it Adventures in Missing the Point. Kind of like you've missed that punchline. <laughs> We've been learning about the Pharisees, those first century antagonists. In the first week, we, we kind of got introduced to them. And we learned that they were uh, really not the villains that we thought they were, the villains we were believing in. They were really sincere men who were orthodox in their theology, zealous in their commitment to Scripture. They were righteous in their lifestyle and dedicated to living untainted by the evil in the world. They were actually a lot more like us than we ever thought. But in their pursuit of righteousness, their pursuit of religious activity, well, they often missed the point. Last week, we looked at the first adventure, Knowing the Bible versus living it. We saw how the Pharisees had a lot of their doctrine right, but it was so rigid and all about rules and regulations that they misunderstood the relationship God wanted to have with them. Today we're on adventure number two, and it's public performance is easier than private devotion. As we'll see, the Pharisees frequently did the right things, but they just had the wrong motives behind it. Have you ever noticed how much pleasure there is in passing judgment on others? Now, I'm not just talking about being critical about people, but presuming you know their heart, their motives, their character. Can we just be honest and admit that we enjoy that a little more than seems reasonable? For instance, I'm usually extremely confident that every other driver on the road is less skilled than I am, right? <laughs> and when their reckless actions involve me, those actions were deliberate. I know they meant to do that. They meant to irritate me. They meant to endanger me. When my wife or my kids are having a bad day, it's easy for me to pass judgment and think, well, they're deliberately trying to get on my nerves. I know that's what they're trying to do. If someone at a store gives me poor service, 
I instantly take offense and judge them as being incompetent or lazy. If I go to the bank and I have to stand behind a long line of people and it's going slow, well, I come to the conclusion that the people in front of me are mathematically challenged. If I see someone wearing clothes or having hair that I don't like, well, it's easy for me to judge their character. Would you look at that? You know? I can look at people that make more money than me and say, well, they must be materialistic. I can look at people who make less money than me and and say, well, they must be unmotivated. A a, a person that's fatter than me. It's hard to find many of them. But a person that's fatter than me. Well, I say they have no self-discipline. A person that's thinner than me, I think they're vain and egotistical. Well, maybe it's not all that exaggerated, but I do find it quite natural to do things like this, at least in my head. And guess what? So do you. We love to pass judgment on people. And this tendency gets worse instead of better when it comes to spiritual matters. We act as if the ability to see someone else's shortcomings is proof of our own righteousness. We love passing judgment on others because it makes us feel better by comparison. The ability to see the faults of others makes us feel we're maybe more spiritual, more righteous, more pious. When was the last time you ever heard the word pious used in a positive way, in a positive context? I mean, did you even know it has a positive aspect to it? You know, we always hear, oh, he's so pious, you know? Listen how the dictionary defines pious. It's an adjective meaning marked by or showing reverence for deity and devotion to divine worship. Not that bad, right? Sounds pretty good to me. But it can also mean marked by conspicuous religiosity, a hypocrite. Hmm. According to Warren Wiersbe, the great sin of the Pharisees was hypocrisy based on pride. Their religion was external, not internal. It was to impress people, not please God. They bound people with heavy burdens while Christ came to set people free. So today I want to talk about these two kinds of piety. There's a good one and there's a bad one. False and true. First, The false piety. This is the prideful type, the bad type. Today's Phariseeism has become almost synonymous with false piety. But as as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, you know, the Pharisees were probably not much more hypocritical than we are. There are two great passages of Scripture that uh, Jesus talks about the difference between the false piety and the real piety. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, he's talking to the Pharisees, Jesus told this parable, this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In this passage, we see three common acts of piety. Remember, piety is neutral. Is it good or bad? All right? Three acts. And these acts are found as devotional type activity in almost every religion. The three things this Pharisee focused on were giving, prayer, and fasting. Giving, prayer, and fasting. The Pharisees were doing right things. There's nothing wrong with those three things. They were doing good things, but just for the wrong reasons. And as Jesus tells this parable, he's not comparing the deeds of the two men. He's comparing the attitudes of their heart. One came to the temple to pray, full of pride. The other one came to the temple to pray, full of humility. Jesus never criticizes the Pharisees for their acts of piety. He takes them to task because acts of private devotion have become for them nothing more than public displays of religiosity. When our faith only affects the externals, pride is inevitable. To this day, people use things like giving and prayer and fasting as measuring sticks to compare themselves with others. I've seen it so much. I've overheard a person talking to a pastor that's new in the church saying things like, you know, pastor, um, I'd like my opinion to be heard. And by the way, I'm planning on giving a lot of money to this church. I've actually heard people say that. Prayer. Oh, yeah, I spend three hours a day in prayer. You know, could you keep that to yourself? That's kind of what I want to say to them. It, it's so reeking of, of pridefulness. And, and I want to look at another passage here where Jesus further different, differentiates between this false piety and the true piety. He says, be careful not to do your quote-unquote acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to the needy, here's the giving part, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by men. But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now be careful with this. Um, he's not meaning this that that's part of your, your new uh, religiosity, that it has to be in secret. Oh, I can't tell what I give. I can't, you know. People know what you give. There's people that count money, that deposit your checks and stuff. So it's not like, oh no, we're letting people know what we do. You know, 
don't get into more legalism on that end of the spectrum, okay? Here's an example. There's a list out in the lobby to donate items to the veterans at the VA hospital, all right? You don't have to let everybody know you're taking one of those. You know, don't grab one and wave it in the air, you know? Just take it. If somebody sees you and asks you, hey, what's that? Tell them. When you bring the items in to put in the box, just put them there. It's just saying that the don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's just saying, look, don't make a big deal of this. Don't perform publicly. Then he moves to praying. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrite, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. This then is how you should pray. And he gives the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And uh, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And we'll get back into that in a minute. Let's go on. He moves into fasting. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. You know, oh, I'm so hungry, but I'm doing it for God. You know. When you fast, he says, Put oil on your head and wash your face. Put on some cologne and dress up, you know? You don't have to advertise that you're fasting. He says, only your father who is unseen will know, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, he's trying to say what the difference is between, between true piety and false piety. So, so let's talk about the true piety. This is the, the humility part. How can we describe what the real thing looks like? If it's not supposed to be done publicly, how do we describe it? We know exactly what false piety looks like. You know, you can even see false piety in children. In fact, look at these two little humble boys, how they treat the talk about humility. What does it mean to be humble? It basically means that well, that leads to humbleability because when you're humble, it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily. When you're humble, it helps to be like. I've heard of it before, but I'm not exactly sure what it means because I learned what it was in Sunday school one time a long time ago, but I don't remember what it means now. At such a young age, already trying to fake the humility thing, right? So what's it really look like? If that's not it, even from a child, what does it look like? Well, first thing, true piety is outward. It's outward in love. Giving, for example, whether you're talking about money or time or talents, it's about the attitude of the heart. It's not about a legalistic act. Paul clarifies this in a letter to the Corinthians. First, he holds up as an example one of the poorest churches in the region, the Macedonians. They're very poor, and he's taking up an offering from them. And he writes, While they were being severely tested by suffering... Their overflowing joy, along with their extreme poverty, has made them even more generous. 
I mean, look at the mathematical equation there. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals generosity. Wow, that's amazing. Regardless of the circumstances, when the underlying attitude is right, well, the expression will be right as well. It just works that way. Another thing about true piety is that it's upward in prayer. It's toward God. The focus is on my relationship with Him, not myself. Jesus told the crowd that when they prayed, this Lord's prayer, when they prayed, He was saying that they should remember who they're talking to. Their Father in heaven. They should remember whose priorities come first. Your kingdom come. They should remember the source of all resources. God, you give us our daily bread. And they should remember to forgive as they have been forgiven by God. We should listen to ourselves sometimes when we pray. Have you ever done that? Do you ever evaluate your prayer? Do you ever think, what did I just pray? Did it just come out like spit? Or, you know, did you think about it? How much do we say, when we pray, how much do we say, me, I, mine, compared to saying, God, your will, you? You see, when praying, we need to do whatever we can to focus on God, not just our own predicaments. One more thing about true piety. The inward part is self-denial. It's not selfishness, it's self-denial. The tendency towards spiritual pride must be continually beaten back. You ever notice that? It's just so natural to to be selfish and prideful. Uh, Disciplines like fasting are beneficial for spiritual formation. To set aside something, something like, that's pleasurable, food, uh, whatever, whatever it could be. You're saying to God, God, you're more important than this food or this other pleasure. You provide me with more satisfaction than anything else. It just kind of brings the, the focused priorities back in place. In our first passage, the attitude of the Pharisee was this. I am not like other men. I'm different. I'm better. He compares his acts of righteousness to the unrighteous acts of others. And guess what happens when you do that? You look pretty good. If you compare your righteous acts to unrighteousness of other people, you look pretty good. Here's what John Fisher said. This is one of the great pleasures of passing judgment. One may rise and lower the bar at will. The purpose of this judgment is not the real betterment of anyone, nor is it to find the truth. Its purpose is only to establish a self-defined superiority over others. We call the shots. We make the rules. We draw the line in the sand and then step over it, leaving everyone else on the other side. It's a foolproof way to feel good about ourselves. Boy. Let me read you three passages of Scripture that get kind of pointed from God about prideful things, about the wrong kind of piety. 
King Solomon, speaking kind of poetically, says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. The first one he lifts out of the seven, a proud look. Another translation says, haughty eyes, pride. In Proverbs 16, 18, it says, Pride precedes a disaster, and an arrogant attitude precedes a fall. That verse is good. A lot of the Proverbs are just there to say, you know, this is the way it is. It's just the way it is. So you can kind of explain what happens when it happens. But this is also a warning. You get prideful, you get haughty, guess what's coming next? Mm. And then I love this in Psalm 51. The sacrifice God wants is a broken spirit. You know, among all the other sacrifices, all those animal sacrifices that were given daily, weekly, yearly, God compares it to the real sacrifice that he wants. A broken spirit. Humility. And he says, God, you will not reject a heart that is broken and sorry for sin. God is in the business of putting broken hearts back together. So it's not saying, well, why do I want a broken heart? I want a strong heart. Before God, you want a broken heart. You want something he can mold and shape. A heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. Our piety, remember that's neutral, but our piety is nothing more than a public performance when we allow pride to get in there. Pride leads us to minimize our own sins and maximize the sins of others. Pride leads us to make judgments of others. Pride leads us to believe that if I can show that I'm better than someone else, anyone else, then I can think of myself as being worthy of God's love. I mean, that's a pretty good motivation to be prideful. Who doesn't want God to love them? We've got to be careful about that. In reality, the same things that foster pride can foster humility. If you're willing to redeem or re-examine your motive for doing them. An example is giving something away that you're a little too attached to. Another is prayer focused on God rather than me, me, me. A third is fasting. Refraining from something, anything that distracts you from God. Those things are great to do. Just don't do them to please people. Public performance is really easier than private devotion. So ask yourself, am I performing or am I devoting? Am I performing for people to see or am I devoting my life to God? A humble heart changes everything. And that's the kind of devotion the Father loves and desires from every one of his followers. To care more about impressing people than to enjoy God is just another adventure in missing the point. So let's pray. God, you know how hard this one is for us. I'm sure there's about 100% of us that didn't even want to hear about this one today. But we need to hear it. We need your help, Holy Spirit, to guide us. 
to, to keep us humble. Lord, you say uh, that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that you will lift us up. So help us to do that. And we thank you for talking to us about this. We thank you for talking to us about it in such a loving, merciful way. Because you could just snuff us out for being prideful if you wanted. But instead, you came to earth, lived a perfect life, took our sins on your shoulder and died on a cross in our place. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.